Okay, welcome to this episode of Mythic Existence. Today we're going to be talking about randonauting, a phenomenon that has gained popularity in online spaces, particularly Twitter. While randonauting, you travel to a random location sent to you by a bot with the intention of exploring the hidden places around you. By the end of this episode, you'll understand how randonauting is an act of ostension, a semiotic experience, and a mimetic simulacrum trip. I'll also cover my own experiences randonauting, so buckle in for another great episode. So like a lot of the topics that we cover, uh, we probably have to start off by just doing some definitions because, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of you probably don't know what randonauting is, but it's a really fascinating uh, concept and it's something that's gained a lot of popularity sp- specifically over the last year, year and a half. And it's something that I tried out for myself. So um, I've got experience actually doing this. Um, and I found it to be a really um, a, a different a different experience for sure and, and pretty fun and enjoyable. So basically what you do is you send your location to a bot. And uh, when I was first doing this, well, let me first say that there's the randonauting is kind of um it's got a few people a few individuals that are in charge of like the whole game basically it's basically a game and uh i i found it on twitter and i messaged you know one of the people that was in charge of it his his twitter handle was quantum comrade i'm i'm not sure if it still is but basically uh at the beginning you would go on to telegram which is just like an app, a messaging app, and you uh, message uh, a bot that they've created. And I can't remember what the bot's name is, but you send it your location, and then it it generates a random point for you to travel to. So that's what essentially it is, is that you travel to a random point that is you know, within a few miles of where you are, and... Uh, you're looking for you're looking for things that are anomalous, things that are speaking to you, basically. And so, um, before I go into exactly what those things are that you're looking for, or what you could be looking for, I'll just say that also now they've created an app for randonauting. It's called the Randonautica app, I think, and uh, it's simplified. I haven't used it for several months, so I don't know if there's been an update to it, but. Uh, yeah, there's an app where you can message and, uh, according to this guy, quantum comrade that I spoke to, they, they've gained access to like some kind of supercomputer at like a university in Australia. And that's where these points are generated from. So it's generated from some kind of like, it's not a quantum computer, but it's an, like an advanced computer. Um, so you're able to choose from several different types of points. They have attractor points, void points, anomalies, and intent suggestions. And those are kind of what they 
they are what they kind of sound like, you know, like void. I'll give you one of my experiences later of like literally going to an actual void. It was an, it was a trampoline with no, um, bouncing mechanism, no like rubber in the middle. So it was literally a void, um, you know, in the place that I was sent to a tractor point just is basically anything anomalies are, are anomalies An intense suggestion. You can give like a specific word that you're intent on seeing. I couldn't quite figure out how to actually do that one, but, um, I guess like in your own mind, you could also have uh, an intent going in and a lot of people kind of the way that this was proliferated a lot at the start is I would be seeing people's experiences on Twitter and they'd be like, this is crazy. I like had the intent of an owl. Owls are a huge thing in random nodding. And like I saw an owl and there's a significance to the owl itself that I'm going to go over in due time. But what you're supposed to be looking for, uh, I was told three different things, blind spots, which are defined as places you never knew existed, talking walls, which are graffiti or written messages, and anomalies, which are things that stand out. So those are the three things that you're supposed to look for. So I actually wrote um, a paper about random nodding for my supernatural folklore class, and I wanted to conduct an, some interviews to like actually get a deeper understanding of what it was. So I, I reached out to this guy, Quantum Comrade. I think that's still his Twitter handle, but I feel like I may have seen it changed. Um, I'm not quite sure, but so I just asked him what, what is random nodding? Like if you could boil it down, what is random nodding? And he, this guy is really, really eloquent. He had some great answers. Um, he, he explained it better than I probably could have. He said, random nodding is the act of visiting random locations generated using true randomness. It's a ritual performance space where people adventure in pure potentiality outside of their normal routine and awareness and share the treasure, synchronicities, and anomalies found laying in a world close by that you may have never known existed. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds really, really interesting to me. And that's kind of the big idea of it is that like all around you, there are things that you just are not noticing and taking for granted that really could speak to you if you were to look at it. And that basically we just are always going around, especially exploring like urban spaces where you're not actually paying attention to their surroundings. And if you were, you would really notice a lot of things that you probably wouldn't. And that leads me into what kind of the philosophy that, Rando nodding is born from and it comes from the the writings of Guy Debord I think is how you say his name it's spelled like Guy Debord um but he's French so I think it's Guy Debord and from his theory of der- of derive and I'm guessing that probably none of you have heard of Debord or his theory of derive or situationist writings was the larger like philosophical school that he came from um which he was that that's like french marxist theory from the 1950s situationism and that was kind of the idea behind their whole thing is that they would just go out into you know paris or like a city or you can do rural also and 
just start walking and start going and start exploring the world around you. And so that's what a derive is. A derive is um, a, a, an excursion through a landscape with no purpose, just randomly going to where you are drawn to. So he told me that the theory of derive and memetics are the two main things that uh, rando nodding is based off of. And I'll get into memetics, how that falls into all of this as well. Um, so when I was writing this essay, I went and got Guy Debord's, uh, you know, the, the writings where it's, his theories are contained. And it's basically this book, um, I forget the, I looked it up just a few minutes ago, but it's, it's Guy Debord's situationist writings. And the one that I found on the internet is like not the one that I had, I found at my university's library, but this is like the coolest, um, like formed book purely in its like material form. It was really thin and silver. It was thin and long and I'd never seen a book constructed in that way. Um, so just on that kind of stood out to me, I found it interesting, but, um, the, the basic, uh, definition he gave, gives of a derive in, in his particular article in there, where this is all based from, he says in a derive, one or more persons during a certain period, drop their usual motives for movement and action, their relations, their work and their leisure activities, and let themselves be drawn by the attractions of the terrain and the encounters they find there. So that's what it is. It's like you, you're you just drawn to whatever is speaking to you. And I, I find that really, really interesting just um, that the world can kind of speak to you if, if you were to pay attention. And DeBoer quotes Marx in his essay and he says, Men can see nothing around them that is not in their own image. Everything speaks to them of themselves. Their very landscape is alive. So that I think that that phrase really right there kind of um, succinctly defines the philosophy of the derive and of rando nodding. So to get into memetics, um, I mean, a lot of us, you know, I think we when we think of memes and mem- memetics is related to the word memes, it's it's memes in action is what memetics is. You know, today memes are typically thought of as um, pictures and, you know, the, the memes we see on the internet like Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And, you know, I was even, I got the game, uh, what do you meme for Christmas? And even like the, de- the definition of meme on there has to do with, like social media, I forget exactly what the the definition that is on the box is, but you know memes. What a meme is is a, a meme is the a, the smallest package or a small package of a culturally transferable idea. So a meme is basically an, an idea or a concept that can be replicated and transferred from one person to another. And uh, I mean, you know, it comes from um, I'm drawing a blank on him now, but uh, Richard Dawkins. The, the famous atheist, it's a play on the word me- gene. So meme is a, a, a meme is a, an idea like a gene replicates, basically, you know. Um, and so when I was talking to Qu- Quantum Comrade, he said, there's a memetic layer to the game 
like for example how people see owls all the time. So the study of how things are related and propagate virally is pretty central. Some of the popular synchronicities people have, like the owls, may be purely mimetic. And so that was something that was on my mind while I was researching random nodding and doing my own random nodding adventures is like these were rules that I learned on Twitter. Like you you learn the rules via memes, not purely in their picture form but in their idea form on the internet you learn those rules to rando nodding um in the form of memes basically so i was curious about like what the owl was because this was a a meme that you were always seeing on rando nodding twitter of people seeing owls and this obsession with owls so i asked what owls were and uh Quantum Comrade said, the owl is a symbol on a doorway. Basically, we are playing in their domain. They, oh, I think it was, the owl is a symbol or a doorway. Basically, we are playing in their domain. They announce change and are the keeper of secrets, symbols of transformation and wisdom. It's kind of creepy, but they are watching us. So that's, that's one of the kind of the crazier aspects of random nodding is like, there's always these owls that, that appear like not just an owl in its animal form, but like, you know, it could be a sticker or a drawing. It could be a talking wall. It could be an anomaly, any of those things. Um, playing in their domain, I found really interesting. So this is the, 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 the supernatural almost domain, the magical domain that really surrounds us at all times. Um, and so for my, the paper that I wrote, the, the argument that I was constructing was, uh, Rando nodding allows for a semiotic and mimetic simulacrum trip. Meaning is constructed by an individual's personal understanding of the place they visit, and that a random nodder learns the game, the rules of the game by observation of others' experiences. So there's a lot of unpack to unpack there. We've we've covered the mimetic a- aspect of it um, and what random nodding is, but we still need to cover semiotics and what a, a simulacrum trip is. So simulacrum or simulacrum, um, a simulacrum trip, it's, it's a concept I borrowed from Professor Jeannie Thomas, who was actually my pr- professor in the Supernatural Folklore class. And um, she defines this. It comes from a, an essay she wrote about Salem in her book, uh, Putting the Supernatural in Its Place. She says that a simulacrum trip is when a person visits artificial sites, manufactured objects, and other obvious constructions that have no true material connections to the story that they tell. So, um, in simulacrum, she borrows this term from uh, Jean Baudrillard, who is like, his book Simulacrum and Simulation is one of the main texts that The Matrix is actually... Um, based off of if you go back and even look at the film his book is on the uh, the bookcase that Neo has in his apartment Um, but so simulacrum is basically like it's it's similar to the thing that it's purporting to be but it's it's not really which is that's kind of the idea behind the matrix right Um, 
And th- she she does this in opposition to what a legend trip. And legend tripping is a huge thing in the study of folkloristics and supernatural beliefs. And a, sim- uh, a legend trip is where a person travels to a site with a connection to a legend. And so in a, a simulacrum trip, a person is traveling to a site that has no connection to a legend, but you make your own legend out of it, basically. Um, and so semiotics uh basically what that is is meaning making that's what semiotics is that's how uh like language is is semiotic because you're making meaning out of the external world that you're saying so when i say a semiotic simulacrum trip what i'm saying is that you make your own meaning out of this legend trip that isn't connected to a real legend basically if that makes sense um and so legend tripping and simulacrum tripping it falls into this larger category of ostension and that's another i want to kind of give you guys some of these like bigger academic concepts that you know you would deal with if you were actually studying folklore and um ostension is a, a really popular thing ostension basically means that you're just acting out a legend so a legend trip is an act of ostension and so is simulacrum chip by um you know association essentially is this concept that two folklorists linda day and uh, andrew vajny uh came up with i think in the 80s but i just thought that that was something that would be relevant to know ostension um and I, I kind of thought of randonauting as like an inversion of geocaching. So, you know, geocaching is like um, you, uh, you travel to a specific location for an object. But in randonauting, you go to a, a random location, not looking for an object. You're, you're looking for whatever you can really find there. So uh, the place actually becomes the object and rando nodding. Um, and this is kind of some concepts that I drew from another one of my professors I mentioned in the last episode, Lynn McNeil. She wrote about geocaching from a folkloristic perspective. And a lot of this, the academic conversation about, um, about a place is drawn from this geographer, Yi Fu Tuan, who, who was writing in the 70s and about how places act as a special kind of object. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I was saying. Like, okay, listen closely when I say this because it's kind of can be hard to unpack. But um, so Lynn says that objects can act as places. So that's what geocaching is. is The object of the geocache is the place. But in randonauting, the point is the place. But the place is the object, and there's often an object at that the place. So there's like this like super intricate level of place and object interplay that goes on with random nodding. Um, so I want to read my own uh, my own experience about random nodding, and you'll see that there I did have an experience of the object becoming the place. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read from the essay that I wrote because it's a, it's a pretty full version of what I did. And so you'll get an idea and it's, 
I had this all, I mean, I did this like last March, April. So it was all in my mind then. I've kind of, you know, my memory might be a little bit blurry from then, but I'm just going to go ahead and read. So after I had done my research, I was ready to go randonauting for myself. Step one in randonauting is to send your physical location. I was weary of doing this, so I sent my location while at the English building at Utah State University as opposed to my own apartment. I selected an anomaly point as I, was, as I wanted to investigate the abnormal, and I was given a point about a mile away, just off of downtown in Logan, Utah. My girlfriend and I went together, girlfriend now fiancé, uh, as I was still worried that something or someone might be waiting for us, for me. We were taken to a residential neighborhood, and as I approached the point in my Maps app, I was somewhat upset to see that I was basically being led into someone's backyard. I was hesitant to proceed, but there's a small side road that cut by the house, and I was convinced to travel down it. Oh my god, I said as we approached the spot. Directly where we were led to, there is a trailer for a company called Evolution Design, who specialize in granite countertops. After seeing others' randonautic experiences, I knew that this was this talking wall contained key words that would be significant to randonauters. The trailer also had a geometric design, which my girlfriend remarked might be significant, especially given my interest in sacred geometry. This is a classic randonauting experience, I remember saying although it was only my first time. Clearly, I was learning the rules from others in a mimetic fashion. We went back to the car with the intention of generating another point to travel to. As we did, there was a black cat sitting outside of the car, meowing at us. It felt to me as though we had entered into a synchronistic series of events, and that the cat was announcing its presence of this other realm in the way that the owls are said to do. We chose to generate a void for our next spot, and were taken across town into a neighborhood I'd never been to. Once again, the randomly generated point took us to somebody's backyard. Of course, we didn't trespass, but rather decided to walk along the sidewalk with the camera I was using, occasionally taking pictures of each other in case anyone got suspicious. As we approached the spot, we were stunned to see that in the exact spot the void point was leading us, There is a trampoline with the tramp part taken out of it. There is just a metal ring sitting there, a literal void. Randonauters, sorry, I need to take a drink of some Gatorade real quick. Get kind of sore in the throat reading off so much. Good product placement right there, Gatorade, if you want to reach out. Uh, Randonauters often remark about how they set their intention when traveling to a point. And so, as we did our next point, I said out loud that I wanted the divine to manifest to me. We were taken only several blocks over, and although it was not the exact location we were led to, there is a cross street called Three Point Avenue about 50 yards away from the location that was generated, which led to a house that had no concernable, discernible salient features for us to analyze. As someone who was raised Catholic, Three Point Avenue spoke to me as the Trinity, Nietzsche's quote, and obviously you guys know that I'm not Catholic anymore, so, and haven't been since I was like nine. So if you're like, oh, he's Catholic, ew, no. Uh, Nietzsche's quote, if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you, was constantly in my mind as I randonauted, and this was an example of me staring into the abyss and constructing my own meaning. Boer says that a derive does not last for, for a day, so I began to think of my randonauting quest as derives.
Uh, Random otters, similarly, say that you should keep on generating points as you go from one place to the next. The trampoline void constituted the end of my first derive, and the one I went on a few days later perhaps showed me some of the limitations of randonauting in certain locations. The first point I generated took me once more to a residential area with the marker in the middle of a field that I would have had to walk through other people's houses to reach. On the way to the point, however, one of the streets was named Sunridge Drive, which coincidentally was the name of the road that I lived on as a child in Kittridge, Colorado. Once again, I felt that the talking walls of the street signs were speaking to me. Of course, I chose not to trespass and generated another anomaly. The point I was taken to led me up Logan Canyon, which is full of narrow mountains. This was during February, and naturally the mountains were covered in snow and ice. The point led me up a path, but it became apparent as I approached as I approached it that the exact spot was located on the side of the mountain and that it was utterly inaccessible. If the spots are chosen pure, true, uh, through pure randomness, which as far as I can know they are, it is reasonable to assume that some of the places will be unreachable, such as a residential yard or the side of the mountain. Frustrated, I called it a day. A few days later... I went on what would be my last randonauting adventure. The first point I was taken to was several miles away from my apartment in a part of town I'd never been to. This, at the very least, is one of the practical upsides of randonauting. It takes you to places you've never been. The anomaly that I generated led me to a large engineering building. I was once again frustrated, but I drove to the exact spot it was leading me to. To my surprise, I could see a small black box on the ground. I decided to investigate it, and shockingly, it was a rat bait box. I began to feel as if I was in a rat race, that the randonauting experience was playing with me and baiting me to God knows what. In this instance, I was the rat, the points were the bait. This instance, like the trampoline void point, is an example of an object at a randonauting point being a specific object that gave the place meaning similar to what Twan and McNeil postulated that was alluded to earlier. If I would have been drawn here and not seen the rat box, then the place would have had an entirely different semiotic significance. But because I was able to find a significant object, imbued the experience, uh, it imbued the experience with meaning that was significant to me. Uh, I generated another point, confident that this derive would be more fruitful than the last. I was taken down a dirt road about a mile and a half away from the engineering building. As I approached the point, I noticed that the road was about to end and that there was a sign exactly where the point was leading me to. It was a dead end sign. I read this sign literally, that I was at the end of my journey. I was a rat being baited and this was the dead end. I felt that the signs were telling me that I had what I needed and that it was time to start riding. Thus, I concluded my final derive. So that's it for today's episode. Randonauting can serve as an example for folklorists of how digital spaces create offline ostensive practices. By using random data points, randonauting allows for an individual to forge their own complicated simulacrum trip by creating their own meaning out of a random environment. Similarly, randonauting shows how digital memetics move offline. The rules of the game are learned through social media, are enacted in real life, and are often brought back to the digital sphere. 
In this regard, random knotting displays the intricate relationship that memetics and ostension have in conjunction with digital and IRL constructed personas. Thanks for listening. See you next time.